the, the privileges that I have as a pastor is to do this every single week, to come here and to, to preach and to teach God's Word. And I enjoy that so much because I love to be encouraged by God's Word. You know, there's so much in the Bible that is, that is inspirational, that, that can encourage us when we're struggling or when we're down or when we're hurting or when we're afraid. And, and that is a great privilege of mine to be able to encourage us with God's Word. But my task as a pastor and as a preacher is not just encouragement. And that's because uh, encouragement is not the only thing that is in this book. Uh, this book is also a book of warning. Uh, it, it warns us about the dangers of living life on our own without any kind of, of thought for God at all. Uh, there's some pretty, some pretty severe warnings in God's Word about living a life that, that, that is just doing what you want to do uh, without any kind of acknowledgement or, or dependence on God. And, and scripture, the, the tough news about the Bible is that the Bible says that when you live your life that way, the end result of that is the judgment of God. We, we call that sin, right? When, when we live our life without any kind of thought or attention to God, when we live life for ourselves, that's what sin is. And I wonder this morning, how big of a deal do you think sin is? Uh, of course, we understand that, that, that sin is wrong, but I wonder how big of a deal you think your sin is. I don't think our culture, our world, really thinks that sin is that big of a deal. You think about it. Sin has become an adjective to describe something fun or good. So we use the term sinfully delicious to describe a piece of chocolate cake. We've come up with the word sensational to describe something kind of kind of fun, but maybe a little edgy. I think our world treats this idea of sin very, very lightly. So I wonder what your attitude toward your own sin is. Are, are you lackadaisical toward it? Uh, do you see its severity? Well, we're finishing up a, a series today called The Struggle is Real. We've been talking about five real-life issues that we all face, that we all struggle with. We've been studying the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, and today we're going to finish this book of the Bible, and in doing so, we're going to talk about our struggle with sin, our, our struggle with disobeying God. Today's story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 28, if you want to turn there. At this time in Israel's history, a man named Saul was the king. Saul is nearing the end of his reign as king, and actually he's nearing the end of his life. You know this if you've been around for this series, but Saul's, uh, Saul's reign as king has been marked by disobedience and, and jealousy and, and fear and selfishness. Saul has disregarded God and his life is spiraling out of control. Saul's persistent rebellion and disobedience has led him to become incredibly fearful. The passage will, will show us that today. In this particular passage, he's especially afraid because Israel's great enemy, the Philistines, are threatening them. The Philistines were cruel, ruthless, evil people. They did terrible things to their enemy. And, and Saul believes, that it appears to him, that the Philistines are about to overthrow his army and take over the nation of Israel as their slaves. And so here's what we see in today's, in today's passage. This is a bizarre, uh, difficult passage in a lot of ways. The, the prophet Samuel is dead. So Saul no longer has Samuel to help him and and to guide him. And so what Saul does is he actually goes to see a, a medium, a, a witch, a spiritist, for, for guidance and, and wisdom. 
And so here's what we're going to see from today's passage. And this is the, the big idea that I want us to, to get understand. Persistent, willful disobedience to God always leads to chaos and destruction. Persistent, willful disobedience to God will always lead to chaos and destruction. What we see in this story is that when we disobey God, we are setting ourselves on a path that will lead to nothing good. You know, sometimes you'll, you'll wear a, sh a shirt or a sweater that's got a little thread coming loose. And if you, if you start to pull on that thread, the whole thing just starts to unravel. That's what happens when we begin to willfully, actively pursue sin and disobedience to God. It's like life just starts to unravel. And it puts you on this slippery slope that leads to chaos in your life and eventually destruction. And I don't think that we have a clearer picture of that in the Bible than King Saul. As a matter of fact, just a couple of chapters after this one, in chapter 31, you can read the account of Saul actually taking his own life. Tragic end of his life happened because he was on a path toward disobedience. And so as we go through this passage today, we're going to see some warning signs. I think that there are three warning signs that we see here about the danger of disobedience. And my prayer is that we might take these warnings to heart. So let's get right into it. Here's warning number one. If you reject God's word, you won't hear God's voice. If you reject God's word, you won't hear God's voice. The passage starts off here with the death of Samuel. You'll remember that Samuel was a prophet in Israel. He was God's uh, spokesperson to the people. He has served as Saul's advisor. He's been God's mouthpiece to Saul, but now he's dead. And so the voice of God that Saul desperately wants to hear from is no longer there. It's not available. Notice how the passage describes it. Verse 5. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams, or Urim, or prophets. But Saul wants to know if the Philistines are, are, are going to overtake them. So why won't God answer Saul? Why is God silent? And one of the, one of the privileges uh, that we have as Christians, as being the people of God, is that we have God's ear. We, we believe that God can and wants to speak to us. So what's going on here? Why, why is God not speaking to Saul? Well, the reason that God is speaking to Saul is because Saul has continued to reject the word of God. You can read in previous chapters where Saul had rejected the prophecy of Samuel over and over again. <laughs> Time and time again, Samuel had come to Saul and said, Saul, this is what the Lord wants you to do. This is what God requires of you. And time and time again, Saul has simply rejected it. And now, he can't hear the voice of God. You know what Saul is doing here? Saul is treating God like a good luck charm. Well, when times are good for Saul, he wants something to do with God. He wants to live his own life. He wants to do his own thing without any kind of uh, interruption from God. But now that things aren't going well, he desperately wants to hear from God. But he's rejected the word of God so many times that sin has blocked God's voice. Now, it's easy for us to read this and kind of shake our head at Saul, but, but man, we do the exact same thing. I am guilty in my life of sometimes treating God like a good luck charm. But things are going well for me. It's, it's very easy for me in a very a sanctified Christian way to forget about God. To just kind of do my own thing. But man, when something bad happens, when there's some kind of uh, emergency in my life, I desperately want to hear from God. And this is where Saul found himself. 
Saul had inquired of the Lord, but God wasn't speaking to him through dreams anymore. Or, or prophets, or the, the Urim. This was this, uh, this device that prophets or priests in the Old Testament times would use to find and discern the will of God. For many years, Saul had rejected God's word, and now he can't hear God's voice. Maybe this morning, you need God to speak to you in some way. Uh, maybe, you need, maybe you need some guidance from God about what to do in your life. If you've got a big decision that you need to make it, and you find yourself praying, God, please, please show me your will. You've got to show me what to do here. But the question is, are you in God's word? Are, are you reading the Bible, and are you obeying what God has already made clear in his word? See, it does, it, it, it's, it's meaningless, it's pointless for you to, to have forsaken the Bible, either by not reading it or not obeying it, and then ask God, God, what do you want me to do? God has made it clear in his word what he wants us to do. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be like his son, Jesus. And if you have rejected that, then you're not going to be able to hear the voice of God for the particular will for your life. I was thinking about that this week, and I was, a couple months ago, her little niece came to spend the weekend with us. She was like uh, eight or nine, and uh, we played a bunch of little games with her that weekend. And one of the games that we played was this game called Hearing Things. Have you ever heard of this game? Maybe some of you own it. Uh, it it's a game that comes with these headphones, and there's a little button. You turn it on, and, and there's like noise in the background, so you, you can't hear what people around you are saying. And, and the other person has uh, a bunch of cards with words or phrases on the cards, and they... They say the word or the phrase to you, and you can't hear them, and so you have to try to read their lips to see what they say. And it's funny because it, you know you usually end up uh, reading their lips, and, and it seems like they're saying something different than what they are. So, so they may read the word arachnophobia, and you're trying to, to read their lips, and, and it may seem like they said to you, "All right, you fun guy." It's, it's a funny game. I was terrible at it. I did not get one thing. <laughs> I think from a, from a spiritual perspective, that's kind of what happens. When we're trying to discern the will of God, and yet we're not listening to what God has already made clear in his word. It's like we're putting on these noise-canceling headphones, and we cannot hear from God. Could it be that one of the reasons that you are spiritually dry right now, or one of the reasons that you can't hear the voice of God is because you're living in disobedience in a particular area? Listen, this is a warning to us. Let's not be like Saul here. Let's listen to the voice of God by listening to and obeying the word of God. That's warning number one. If you reject God's word, you won't hear God's voice. Here's warning number two. If you reject God's presence, you'll be left with a sorry substitute. So here's where the passage starts to get weird. Because notice what Saul does when he doesn't get the information that he wants from the Lord. The passage goes on in verse 7. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. There is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I named. The woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. 
The king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like, he asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Saul doesn't get what he wants from God, so he turns to a very, very sorry substitute. He essentially turns to Satan. He goes to a witch. The pastor calls her a medium. Of course, mediums are people who have some kind of dark, demonic powers. There are people that our enemy uses to do things that God would not want. Now, ironically, up in verse 3, it says that Saul had gotten rid of, of all the mediums and the spiritists in the land. God had forbidden them. Saul, as king, had supposedly gotten rid of them. But now, he wants to get some information from one. Notice the, the hypocrisy there. And so he goes to this woman and he says, Can you bring up for me God's old spokesperson, Samuel? Now, this is a weird passage, and this is a passage that has confused a lot of people who know way more about the Bible than I do, because the Bible clearly teaches that there are no such thing as, as ghosts, at least not the Hollywood versions of them. So let me just make this clear. When people die, they go to one of two places. They don't come back to, to haunt people or haunt houses. They don't come back to watch over and guard people. The, the book of Hebrews says that it's appointed on a man once to die, and then comes the judgment. But this woman does seem to conjure up a deceased sin. So let me just say off the bat, I don't completely get this. I don't completely know what's going on here. Um, but not knowing exactly what this is doesn't take anything away from this passage. The passage is not primarily about what's involved in witchcraft. It's about the danger of disobedience. So let me make a few comments about this. It could be that this woman is a fake. It could be that she's like Miss Cleo. Remember her from the 90s? Remember those, uh, those infomercials? You would call this lady up and just for a couple of dollars a minute, uh, she, she'd put you in contact with a dead loved one, or she, you know, she, she'd give you information about her life or your future. Uh, more recently, you've got this guy, Tyler Henry. Have you, have you seen him? He's the, the Hollywood medium. He does readings for the stars. These people are obviously frauds. They're, they're fakes. And so it may be that she's that. Or it could be that she has some genuine dark powers to conjure up, not ghosts, but dark demonic spirits. Whatever the case may be, it seems that she wasn't the one to conjure up Samuel. God brought up Samuel. God, for some reason, allowed her to see Samuel because what's her reaction here? She's, she's terrified. She's scared out of her mind. It says that she cried at the top of her voice. She was not expecting to see Samuel. I read that this week a few times, and it reminded me of the movie Ghost. Remember that movie? To be more Patrick Swayze. Um, remember Whoopi Goldberg's character in that movie? She she played this fake medium named Oda May. And uh, she was a fraud. She'd been pretending to be able to contact the dead. But it turns out that she could actually hear Patrick Swayze's character, his ghost. And the first time it happened, it, it freaked her out. So it may be that that's kind of what's going on here. God, for this momentary time, allowed the dead prophet of Israel to give one final message to King Saul. How ironic is it that Saul has rejected the presence of God, and the only thing that he's left with is the presence of evil. Notice here that, that when Saul and his men came to her, she doesn't want to have anything to do with them. She, she thinks it's a trap. She thinks this is a, a sting operation. Notice what Saul says to her here, back in verse 10. Saul swore to her by the Lord, 
As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Now that word Lord is the personal covenant name of God. So he's, he's talking to evil and wickedness and he's swearing by God's name. Well, when Saul heard what Samuel said, he's, he's terrified. So look at what the witch says to Saul. passage goes on here in verse 21. When the woman came to Saul and saw that he was greatly shaken, she said, look, your servant has obeyed you. I took my life in my hands and did what you told me to do. Now please listen to your servant and let me give you some food so that you may eat and have the strength to go on your way. He refused. He said, I will not eat. But his men joined the woman in urging him and he listened to them. He got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had a fattened calf at the house, which she butchered at once. She took some flour, kneaded it, and baked bread without yeast. Then she set it before Saul and his men, and they ate. That same night, they got up and left. What is this witch doing here? She's comparing herself to God. God did not listen to or obey Saul, but he did obey the witch. Right? She said, listen, you obey me. You, you eat what I prepared for you. And he does. Saul has not been a very good obeyer throughout his life. But now that he's at the end of his life, he finally learns to obey. Not God, but the witch. He sits down and he has a fellowship meal with the devil. Isn't that just a pathetic picture? This is the king of Israel. This is a powerful, wealthy man. This is a man who has at his disposal a direct line to God through a prophet. And yet now he's fallen so far that he's sitting across the table from a witch. And it's because he's rejected God's presence. Friends, maybe in a much less dramatic way, we do the same thing. God, God offers us himself. He tells us that true and lasting joy and satisfaction can be found in him. And yet time and time again, we reject him, and we settle for a sorry substitute. Maybe instead of, of, of enjoying what God has given you through your spouse, maybe you settle for a website instead. Maybe instead of, of enjoying the peace that God offers, you've rejected that, and instead you live in constant worry and fear, because you have to play God, you have to try and control things. Maybe instead of looking and enjoying your children as a gift from God, you, you rule over them and you're harsh with them because you're afraid that if they mess up or fail, that that's going to look bad on you. This is really one of our greatest problems. We are idolaters. We take good things in life and we elevate them to the place where only God should be. We try to find meaning and self-worth and joy in an imitation. When we do that, we will always, always, always be let down. So we can avoid the pitfall that Saul fell into here by embracing God, not rejecting God. By, by looking to him and him alone for our happiness, our joy, and our satisfaction. And so I'm wondering this morning, what it is that you have in your life that you are looking to, to provide you with what only God what is it in your life that is a sorry substitute for what you're really trying to find in God? That's the second warning that we see. If we reject God's presence, if we reject what God offers, we're going to be left with a very sorry substitute. So that takes us to warning number three, and it's this. If you reject God long enough, he'll eventually give you what you want. Notice what Samuel says here. You see... 
the dead prophet Samuel's message in verse 16. Samuel said, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. That means they'll be dead. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he ate nothing all that day and all that now, we read that, maybe we're thinking, man, why doesn't Samuel tell Saul to just repent? God's a merciful God, right? God, God could have forgiven Saul. Well, the reason that Samuel doesn't give Saul any words of hope is because Saul had hardened his heart. Saul didn't want to repent. He didn't want to live God's way. He wanted to continue to do his own thing and, and live his own way, yet still have the blessing of God. He had rejected God Time and time again, and now God has rejected him. It's part of that, that warning that comes in Scripture that I talked about. The Bible indicates that there is a time where the grace of God will run out. There is a time where the offer of forgiveness and salvation will be withdrawn. You can only reject God for so long until God finally rejects you. God rejects you. You know what that is? It is God giving you what you ultimately want. If you want to live your life without any kind of involvement with God, then there may come a day where God says, okay, okay, you can have what you want. You can have a life without me. I remember hearing some stories about Mark Twain, the famous author. In his younger years, he apparently had kind of a complicated relationship with, with uh, issues of faith and church and God. He, felt like he, he should give his life to the Lord and, and live in a way that was honoring to God, but he, he rejected that. He, he didn't want that. And, and, and Twain said that in his younger days, he would have this reoccurring dream, nightmare really, where this gigantic Bible was, was pressed against him, where it was suffocating him. He said he hated that dream. He said eventually, when he hit about 40 or 45, that, that, that dream eventually stopped, and he thought that was a good thing. And I remember reading that story, and I wondered to myself, I wonder if that was God eventually saying to Mark Twain, okay, no more. I've, I've pulled back. I say this with a very heavy heart, but, but friends, this is what hell is. See, people that are in hell are not there because of some fluke. People are not in hell saying, well, what, what is this? Oh, nobody told me about this. I would have gladly accepted God. People that are in hell wanted nothing to do with God in life. And so eventually God has given them what they wanted in eternity without his presence. I think this is what Samuel means in verse 16. It's got to be one of those terrifying phrases in all the Bible. The Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy. Can you think of, of a more terrifying thought than to have the God of the universe as your enemy? Saul has rejected God, and he's rejected God, and he's rejected God until God finally said, okay, no more. That is a terrifying thought. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, 
never stepped over that line of faith, it might be easy to convince you that you're a sinner. But it might not be that easy to convince you of just how bad your sin is. The Bible teaches that we are all sinners and that our sin matters. And that if you continue to be committed to your sin, like Saul, then you are God's enemy. Saul had grown arrogant as king. He thought that he was above God's commands. Listen, don't make that same mistake. Don't be like Saul and harden your heart against God. Truth about sin is difficult to hear, but it is it is essential for our salvation. So we as a church, we're committed to knowing and speaking the truth about our sin. We don't just get together and feel good about ourselves. We want to be honest. We want to learn the truth about our sins. The truth is every single one of us is prone to wander from God, and you're looking at first in line. So we exist as a church to confess our sin to proclaim Jesus as our only hope from being delivered from God's judgment. So the question is, what do we do about these warnings? What do we do if we see ourselves in Saul? What do we do if we're reading this passage and Saul reminds us of ourselves? This is what I want us to understand. This is where the good news comes in. If you are on the wrong path of disobedience, Repentance is the answer. If, if you are walking the same road that Saul was walking on, repentance is the answer. What is repentance? Well, repentance and confessing your sin means that you say the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin. That it's a big deal. That it will lead to destruction and chaos, but that it can be Repentance is tearing down all of the scaffolding that I've built to climb up into my sin. It's, it's bringing it down into a big pile and burning it all. It's more than just a quick, God, I'm sorry for that. It's turning from your sin. It does not mean perfection because we won't be perfect in this world, on this earth. But repentance includes at least two things. First of all, repentance means no more rationalization. It means that I'm done making excuses for myself and my sin. I'm done lying to myself that it's no big deal. I'm done trying to convince myself that I deserve that sin. No, it means that I'm going to deal with my sin head on. You cannot get freedom and forgiveness for what you continue to make excuses for. You cannot get freedom for what you continue to cover up and hide from others. Repentance means no more rationalization. And then repentance means godly sorrow. Saul was sorry in this passage, but it wasn't godly sorrow. It was sorrow over the consequences of his sin. Godly sorrow is when you're sorry that you hurt the heart of God. And so maybe for you, maybe the first place to start is by asking God to help you hate your sin. Because if we were honest this morning, if you were honest with yourself, maybe you'd say, man, I love my sin. I enjoy my sin, but I know it's going to lead to destruction and chaos. If that's you, maybe the first step is to say, God, would you help me to hate my sin like you hate my sin? Would you help me to find my sin as revolting as you find my sin? Now, if we were to end the passage right here, we would go home and we would be bummed out because so far this has been a bummer of a passage. But this is not the end. 
Because even in the middle of this passage about judgment and warning, we see a picture of God's grace. And it's found in the middle of verse 17. Notice what it says. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. God promises here that there is going to be a better king than Saul. David, we talked about it in this series, David would take the throne and he would do a better job than Saul did. But ultimately, this verse isn't really just about David. Because David's life, David's kingship points ahead to an even greater king, King Jesus, Messiah, the Savior. This passage tells us that God would eventually raise up a true and better king. Jesus would be a king that would never stumble and fall like Saul. He was a king that always obeyed and trusted God. And now because he lives forever, he's able to save those who come to God through him. Remember the, the big idea of this sermon? That, that willful, persistent disobedience toward God always leads to chaos and destruction. Jesus was a king who was not characterized by disobedience, but by perfect obedience. Because of that, friends, our lives don't have to be characterized by chaos and destruction. As we close this morning, I want to invite the worship team up. They're going to just kind of pray, but I wanted to just continue to, to talk about this idea of repentance. You know, again, maybe this passage has, has found you in a similar place to where King Saul was. If you, if you look at your life, if you look at where you're at with the Lord right now, you're, you're not where you should be. You have wandered away from the Lord. Maybe some of those same traps that Saul fell into is right where you're at, right now. Listen, repentance is the key. We kind of look at this idea of repentance as, as a bad thing. It's like God kind of get you an arm lock, and it's a painful thing. Repentance can be painful because it means that we have to be honest with ourselves about where we're at and honest with our sin. But listen, repentance is a good thing. It's a gift. In the book of Acts, it says that we should repent so that times of refreshing may come. We need to be refreshed spiritually. Do you need that in your life? We want to just give you an opportunity to, to do some business with God, to repent, to say about your sin what God says about your sin, to allow the truth of God's word to illuminate that, to illuminate your sin, but more importantly, to illuminate, to put a big spotlight on the grace that God offers us in Jesus. I don't care how big of a sinner you are, God's grace is greater. Even if your sin was 10,000 times worse than it is right now, the grace of God is bigger and stronger than that. And Jesus welcomes you to himself this morning. He wants to forgive you. He offers that to you. You just have to be honest. No more rationalization. No more trying to cover up. You get out and open. And so for the next just a minute or two, I just want us to kind of bow our heads. Just, just talk to the Lord. Just do business with God. None of that worship team will do this in one box. So.